morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's webinar on the SEC Cybersecurity Risk Management Rules for RIAs and Funds. What does your firm need to do to ensure compliance? I'll hand you over to my colleague, Miriam. Over to you, Miriam. Good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to welcome you all today to discuss and review the proposed SEC Cybersecurity Risk Management Rules for registered investment advisors and funds. On February 9th this year, the SEC voted to propose rules related to cybersecurity risk management for registered investment advisors and registered investment companies, in a clear signal that firms who are not prepared to address cybersecurity risks will need to take action. Today, we have experts from the team at Waystone Compliance Solutions who will be providing insights and advice on the analysis your firm should complete in order to ensure compliance with these cybersecurity risk management guidelines. Waystone Compliance Solutions offers a new and unique approach to compliance services at a corporate level. It was formed in 2021 by merging four specialist compliance companies, Titan Regulation, Argus Global, ISAS and CCL Compliance. With over 100 specialist compliance consultants, Waystone Compliance Solutions has the capabilities to help you manage regulatory risk right across your organization and on a global scale. We can provide key services from initial registration and licensing to compliance program integration and ongoing monitoring. Our aim at Waystone is to enable our clients to navigate the complex regulatory environment with confidence. So turning to today's topic, in light of the SEC's proposed cyber rules, today we'll give you an overview of the general proposal and we will be following up with other series to focus on key elements of your annual review program, as well as a focus on response and remediation. We'll discuss how investment advisors and mutual fund boards can ensure they become cybersecurity compliant. We'll speak about the biggest challenges the firms are facing while trying to implement cybersecurity risk management techniques, as well as the importance of having third parties producing an independent report with independent verification of cybersecurity practices in your firm. Today, we have Julie Dixon, CEO of Waystone Compliance Solutions, and Connor Flynn, the Waystone Group Chief Information Security Officer. So now I'll hand over to Julie to provide you with an overview of the SEC's proposed rules. I think that this particular set of rules actually is um, interesting to us in that the way the SEC decided to go about this proposal, technically, they made a series of proposed amendments to the Advisors Act, as well as the Investment Company Act. And so I think it's important to kind of take a step back and remember what a rule proposal is and what a rule proposal can and can't do. So at this stage, this is a proposed rule. And when the SEC puts a rule proposal out, a comment period ensues following the proposal. So it's important to remember that what we talk about today is, you know, we're gonna spend quite a bit of time on the content of the proposal, but the final rule may differ from the proposal. So in general, what we see is that the SEC will allow a comment period, and then at the end of the comment period, there'll be 60 to 90 and sometimes to 120 days before a final rule will be published in the Federal Register. And typically after that, there'll be a delayed implementation date. So even though we're talking about this proposed rule today, the actual timeline on implementation, you know, we expect to be quite a ways out, um, could be as long as six months out or maybe even a year out before it's, it's it, the, the true implementation date comes to pass, and we may find differences between this proposal and the final rule. So the other thing I think that's important to point out is that is the technical structure of the way the SEC structured this particular proposal. 
Again, they, they came out with an amendment to Rule 206 and Rule 204 of the Advisors Act, as well as an amendment to Rule 38 of the Investment Company Act. What this means is that if these rules are finalized, they will apply to all SEC registered investment advisors, and they will apply to all SEC registered funds um, because the Investment Company Act, Act applies to the registered fund world. These rules will not directly apply to a private fund. You know, just like with the SEC's other rulemaking, these rules will typically be implemented on private funds by virtue of the regulation of their investment advisor that maintains the SEC registration. So now that those technical details are out of the way, I think that it makes some sense for us to talk about the basics of what the SEC had to say here. So if you pay really careful attention to the SEC's proposal and you look at the rulemaking they already have in place, what you'll see is that they have followed the pattern they already followed in the context of the existing Advisors Act and in the context of the existing Investment Company Act. And what we find interesting is that oftentimes they referred back to standards of appropriateness with respect to things like policy drafting they already had in place. So the SEC requires here a written policy, a written cybersecurity policy. Um, they require a written annual review of your policy, a risk, a risk assessment and mitigation protocol. They will require incident reporting within 48 hours on Form ADVC and for the mutual funds on N1A. Um, they require an elaboration of cybersecurity incidents and risks on the Part 2A for investment advisors and in mutual fund prospectuses. Um, they put in place a record-keeping rule that is very similar to what we see in the Advisors Act um, for compliance program breaches. So um, I think, and they also then actually put in place a mutual fund board approval of cybersecurity policies and procedures. So I think those are the key things. You'll have written policy requirement, a written annual review requirement, a risk assessment requirement, an incident response reporting requirement. It'll require quite a bit of disclosure on Form 82A and on mutual fund prospectuses, and there'll be significant record-keeping requirements. You know, again, we don't know which features of this particular rule will make it proposal, will make it into the final rule. But I think in concept, um, because the SEC has approved very similar concepts in other rules, we expect the final rule to be not too terribly different from the proposal. There may be minor nuances and changes, but we expect it to be not too terribly different. Um, now I want to turn it over to my colleague, um, Miriam, we, who will be asking our, our cyber expert some questions about um, the technical details of this and how we would go about assisting firms um, with the blocking and tackling and completion of these key requirements. Thank you, Julie. Okay, so Julie has given us an overview of some of the key requirements and key disclosures. So now let's talk about um, how best does an investment advisor become cybersecurity compliant? Connor, in your experience. Thanks very much, uh, both to Julie and to Miriam for the introduction there and um, to the, uh, I suppose, the opportunity to, to talk to you today about the changes and what it means. I think a lot of what the, the, the this new rule is looking to to, to push through for, um, I suppose, people who are investors is the 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 confidence that they're going to have, and I think the the, the chair Gary Gensler has spoken very clearly about the the goal here about the resiliency 
of advisors and funds against cybersecurity threats and attacks. So to follow that through to the cybersecurity risk management policies and procedures, and this is the first step within the rules that are being proposed, the, the rule changes that to be adopted. Um, we're looking at the, the proper documentation of effective cybersecurity policies and procedures to ensure that an organization is operating um, properly with, in today's threat landscape. There is an ever-increasing amount of attack happening, and what the policies and procedures for an organization will help them to do is to prepare, respond, and recover in the event that something does happen. So the, the policy is your, your go-to in the event of, well, what should we do in this situation? What is our organizational strategy and policy with dealing with certain types of incidents? And it's broken down quite well in the in the proposal that that we have been um, that has been published. I mean, it talks about the risk assessments, understanding the inventory of the information that you're processing. What are the access requirements for that information? Do you know how you control the access from various external parties and internal parties to that, that information? What are you doing to protect that information and to make sure that you've got a threat and vulnerability management program that is appropriate to the information assets and the threat environment you're operating in? And unfortunately, we can't assume these days that something won't go wrong. So quite often the sign of a good organization and a well-governed organization is how prepared they are for when a, an incident does occur, how they will recover, how they will respond, how they will deal with the, the impact of it and how they get back to being in uh, operating in a secure way again. So I think that the what they're proposing here in the, um, the policies, procedures and the risk management approach is actually very strong to help organizations operate better. So policy drafting is not new to us in the compliance space in the United States. However, the written annual review and the risk assessment and mitigation, um, those things are new. And one of the things that we know from experience as a compliance consulting firm is that in the context of facing the SEC during the examination process, we know that a third party review of regulatory compliance, um, for example, in the context of satisfying the existing Rule 206 obligation for an annual review of the compliance program, and the effectiveness, uh, its effectiveness and the adequacy of its implementation. You know, we are we are often quite surprised at how positively the exam teams respond to the third party assessments um, because a neutral third party has reviewed the effectiveness of the compliance program, has drafted a written statement on that point, and that neutral third party holds a lot of credibility with the SEC. Um, I believe that the same dynamic will be at play with respect to the risk assessments for cyber, where the SEC will be will hold a third party's risk assessment and written report in high esteem. Um, but I think it would be interesting for us to hear about, you know, risk assessments in general and, you know, how you would generally speaking attack risk assessments and how that benefits firms. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Great. Thanks, Julie. Um, I suppose that the fundamental in, in the implementation of any control is to understand what is the risk that we're trying to deal with here. And uh, the risk assessment, you know, one of the things that can often be enlightening for an organization when you help them with their risk assessments is actually going through their inventory of what are the important assets, the important um, processing activities that must be protected. And at its most basic level, a risk assessment is what is the impact what is the likelihood? When you multiply them together, you get a resultant score. 
And the risk assessment can very quickly help an organization by looking at, well, sometimes I can't change the impact, but I can change the likelihood. And this is where a risk assessment and where I think a regulator will look at a risk assessment that's been performed and see, well, risk has been identified as X. There's been a new mitigating control or an upgrade of a control put in place, and it is now Y, so and hopefully dropped. So this is a very a positive step for any regulator to see is that the risk assessment is not just a paper um, exercise, a box tick exercise. It's actually being used to uh, govern and run an organization in a in a positive way, um, aligned to regulation, but actually to improve the overall risk score from an organization's perspective. So that's where I think having a, a good methodology that is consistent that is aligned with the outcome that's expected from the rules and that is able to show in clear, easily understood metrics by the stakeholders um, how risk is managed. That's really great to hear. And I think that this, again, the third party nature of it really does add some credibility to it. In the context of thinking about incidents and how incidents are responded to, one of the things that's going to be the most substantive change in the context of this rule, based upon our experience in working with clients, will be this near real-time reporting where um, our clients that are registered as advisors or the registered mutual funds, they would have to report within 48 hours any breaches, um, any, any, any material incidents. So I think that, you know, you know, I expect that the definition of what's material and what's not that's presented here will be the subject of a lot of debate. So if I were to guess where the SEC will receive the most comments, this will be where the comments will be fierce. Um, Because I think that in the context of working with clients in this space, working with several hundred groups that, you know, in the United States, we know that many of them have attempts, right? So many of them have attempts and um, very few of them have true incidents. But I think that understanding what constitutes good quality response um, is really important for firms. And it would be really great for people to understand a little bit more about, you know, what you think constitutes good quality response in general and what type of a provider you need available to you. I think the one thing I think that would be interesting to focus on as well is that when we have worked with clients that had incidents, the trouble that they ran into was that incident happens, you have to stop the bleeding, so to speak, and that you've got to stop the intrusion very quickly, as fast as you possibly can. And oftentimes, they don't know who to call and what to do and where to go. They may have a a help desk, but that help desk may not be sufficiently ready to handle that incident. So if you could talk a little bit about incidents and your experience in managing incidents and, you know, how people do it well and how people do it badly, I think that would be really helpful to this particular audience. Thanks, Jay. I think um, one of the very first things is, how do you know there's an incident? And this is where the early warning indicators, the intrusion detection, the um, awareness, uh, the the monitoring is is vital, especially with the aggressive timelines that we're we're looking at here of the uh, 48 hours. Um, So the first thing is, how do you know an incident has occurred? And do do your your teams, your service providers, your partners and your staff understand um, you know, how to actually escalate and start an incident? So it's about having an incident response plan and having people aware of their roles and their membership of your incident response team. But it's not good enough just having that on paper. 
It's like anything. If you've got a building, you do fire drills so that people know what they have to do in the event of the fire. People can't be running around like headless chickens. You need your fire wardens and stewards and people to coordinate. It's the exact same thing in a computer security incident response. It's about having you know, nominated individuals who all clearly know their tasks, their, uh, who they're to coordinate with and what the processes are. And so it, the first thing is identifying that there's an incident, then having a clearly executed to be executed and exercised in the past uh, plan and having service partners then to call upon. Because again, we're hoping for most organizations that incidents are infrequent, they will occur. But if you rely solely on internal teams that are not exercising on a regular basis, these skills, uh, they, they, uh, they, they become dull and they need to be uh, developed. So the, the key thing here a lot of the time is to actually um, engage with third-party service providers who have computer security incident response teams because it is about detection, containment, isolation, and then remediation. And it, all the time through there, we must be aware that we may want to do forensic investigation. There may be criminal investigations that need to be pursued after this. So we can't go around trying to clean up an incident and damaging evidence that will be vital that if should there be a, a requirement to follow this through with a, a prosecution or investigation from a, another authority. So I think it's about um, preparedness. It's about engaging with somebody who's um, expert and who is regularly uh, performing these sort of uh, responses. It's about testing them and going through the, the processes to make sure that people do know their roles and about refreshing them. Because one of the things we find with customers as well is that the incident response plan wasn't, wasn't looked at for two years. And in that time, new technologies have come been purchased into the organization, old, old ones have left and the plans haven't been updated. So it's about, again, I bring the analogy back to your fire safety. You know, the, the purpose of having your fire drills is for preparedness and to minimize the impact of an incident when it occurs. It's the same thing in the computer security world. So I think that that probably encapsulates as much as we will catch today and in, in our limited time today, but we do intend to provide further educational sessions on this particular topic. It is, a, is, is quite a large topic. And this particular rule proposal gives us a great deal of understanding as to what the SEC is thinking and how they intend to go about, you know, implementing regulation on this point. I think we will be discussing some of these points in further detail in future sessions, but hopefully this gave you a really good overview of the U.S. regulatory proposal um, from the SEC and we can continue our educational sessions on this point in the future. Um, if you have a need to contact a cybersecurity group right away, um, we will provide contact details um, at the end of the webinar so that we can ensure that you can get in touch with our group. Um, we have consultants um, involved in cybersecurity, risk mitigation, identification, policy drafting, um, and all of the items that are required by the SEC in this rule. We have them located both in the EU and within the United States, and we are able to provide services in both jurisdictions. And I think we could probably close with that point and continue on um, with another our, our next sessions at a later date. That's great. Thank you, Julie, and thanks, Miriam and to Connor for your time today.
As Julie noted, post-webinar, we'll be furnishing everyone with details of all the presenters today so you're able to reach out to them directly. Thank you for joining.